following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1 is where we're at today. We're rolling into Philippians. We've been here for uh, a while. I hope you are enjoying our study as much as I am. It's a little convicting, a little encouraging. Um, and that's what God's Word will do. Sometimes uh, you come to the sanctuary and you expect some encouragement and you get some conviction. And sometimes you come to the sanctuary, you expect some conviction, you get some encouragement. So it's a little bit both, a little bit both words, you know, you need some of that in your life. Philippians 3, uh, verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 11. All right, Paul is our author here, and he is uh, writing to a church that he planted, um, and he is writing to believers primarily, and as Paul writes... um, I don't know if you were here, this is your first week, Um, a couple of months ago we studied the book of Galatians, and a lot of what I'm saying today is going to resonate with the Galatian church. Uh, So I would uh, advise you, if you haven't heard those sermons, you can go listen to them online, but um, I would just advise you to go read the book of Galatians after today. Uh, I would prefer that you didn't start now. Well, I'm preaching. <laughs> um, but just, just kind of earmark that, maybe write that down, like read Galatians, because what Paul is going to say in Philippians chapter 3 is very uh, parallel to what he tells the Galatian church as well. In the Galatian church, there were some false teachers that were popping up, and they're called Judaizers. And Judaizers essentially taught that you should work for your salvation. And I know when we think about these things, we think that uh, that's, that's New Testament, you know, that was 2,000 years ago, and those people aren't out there anymore, and that's, that's not true. There's a lot of people that say you have to do good works in order to um, have the adoration of God. And let me just tell you right now, before we go any further, God, if, if you're a child of God, if you've repented of your sin and believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and are, are his child, God cannot love you any more or any less than he does right now. So what Paul is pushing for as he pens these letters to the churches is they would move past works and into worship, that everything they would do would bring honor and glory to the Lord. It's not works when we come um, into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's, it's worship. Paul says this in Romans. He says, therefore, uh, as living sacrifices, everything that you do should bring honor and glory to the Lord. So we don't work uh, to, to bring the adoration of God on us. We work because the adoration of God has been brought upon us, and it's worship. We love to do these things for the Lord that he outlines in his word. And so Paul says these Judaizers, these false teachers, they're everywhere. You need to be careful of it. They're deceitful workmen, is what he calls them in 1 Corinthians. And they have all their impressive credentials. And I was thinking about um, that with myself. And I'm like, man, that's, that's hard. Like sometimes we cling to our credentials instead of our confidence in Christ. Amen? Like sometimes we, we want to show people what we did uh, when, when it's not necessarily the case. And so we repent of that a little bit this morning, and we ask together. And maybe I would just ask, would you ask this question as if I've asked it these past couple of weeks? Am I depending upon my works, or 
just my simple faith in Christ and that he's working through me. That's kind of our goal today, okay? So Paul is gonna talk and he's gonna say, hey, how do we live righteous individually and as a church? It's so important for us to do this, okay? So Philippians chapter three, verse one uh, Paul is a true preacher here because he says, finally, in that first verse, and if you, I don't know if, if, if you have a Bible with you, but if you keep going, he's got another chapter. So true pastor form, right? He says, my last point, and then he keeps going. <laughs> he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice as some of the other passages of Scripture have said. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Let's just pause here for a second and let's talk about what Paul is saying. He's saying, I want you, in order to live righteous, is to be on the lookout. I want you to be on the lookout. You could circle that word finally. In Greek, that word finally means furthermore, or I'm gonna expand on some things that I've already said. So if you are here and this is your first week, I would highly encourage you to go back and read Philippians 1 and 2 along with Galatians or listen to those passages. False teachers had not become a major threat in Philippi yet. Now we could resonate with that because we have not experienced persecution yet, but we will. All right, So we need to brace ourselves that that's coming. And Paul's saying to the Philippians, you're going to get persecuted. And Paul says... Let's just cut that off uh, before it starts, and let me give you your first thing that you are to do to live righteous, which isn't like in these, these points here that he's making. This is just a no-brainer for the believers, and that is to rejoice in the Lord. And Community Gospel Church, we have to rejoice in the Lord before anything else. Well, what's Paul saying here? What, is, what does that mean, to rejoice in the Lord? Um, he essentially says, you should, have a, uh, you should have excitement that you're in a relationship with God through faith in Christ. You need to tell your face what your heart has accepted, right? That's what he says. You should be excited over the fact that you are a child of God. It should excite you. It should wake you up in the morning. It should be like that cold shower, you know? This is what we should be excited for. Rejoice in the Lord that you're his child. And if you're here this morning, you're not a child of God, uh, there's a little white book in front of you. Open that up. It's the gospel. Read that. You can read that while I'm preaching. I promise that will not offend me at all. Number two, you should also rejoice in the Lord that you are eager to suffer for Christ. Are we eager to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's a hard question. Uh, but Paul says to rejoice in the Lord means to welcome sufferings like Christ experienced. And then he says, be content, and this is verse or chapter two, that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and also encourages you. So to rejoice in the Lord before Paul starts about going on the lookout, he says, be excited that you have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, eager to suffer, and content that the Holy Spirit is working. Now the crazy thing is, if you look at this passage, he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble at all. How many of us have children who we've had to say the same things over and over and over again? Paul says, it's no problem, I don't mind repeating myself, I'll just tell you again. And this is essentially what Paul does for us as we read the word. He just tells us the same things sometimes over and over again because we're all like sheep who have gone astray. And so as you, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, here is what I want you to be on the lookout for. Number one, be on the lookout for dogs. 
<laughs> domesticated? <laughs> well, I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Um, if you know our family, we have a basset hound. His name is Frank, and he's not that um, that that intimidating. <laughs> he, he's actually not intimidating at all. But um, so he's not the dogs that we're talking about here. The Jews considered dogs as despised and unclean animals. It would have been the same as the prodigal son sitting with the pigs. Same, same, same animal here, okay? Essentially, what Paul's saying is, this is what secular society calls the believers in this day, and Paul flips it on him, and he says, you Jews who promote works over grace are the real dogs. That's very demeaning. And so Paul switches the descriptions to refer not to Gentiles, but to those who twist the gospel and add works to it. So what? So the first thing that Paul says to be on the lookout for is anyone who adds to the simplicity of the gospel message. What do you mean? Well, if I'm in my everyday world and somebody just says, if you confess with your mouth and repent of your sin, believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, and somebody does it, you don't add to that message. You just believe that God's gonna do a great work in their life. How many of us have met people, accepted Jesus, right? And we look at him and go, prove it. It's not how this works. It's not how this works. We should be excited. I think people walk away from the faith because the believers have pushed them out of the faith. That's another sermon for a different day, okay? So he says, also watch out for the evil doers. Well, evil doers is kind of like our English word. There's two words that um, become one. It's essentially a criminal, okay? Evil doers. People who do evil. Kind of a no-brainer, right? Romans 3.23 says we're all evil because we've all fallen short of God's standard. So, so what's Paul getting at? Jews considered themselves good, moral people. Uh-oh. How many people in our towns, right, uh, would consider themselves good, moral people? I'm not evil, right, because I am moralistic. And Paul says... If you depend on the law, your works, you lessen your dependence upon God because it's a hard issue. So the more you depend on your works, the more you are removing your dependence upon the Lord. So if I say I'm going to do this, I get the glory, God doesn't get the glory, then my faith decreases because I don't trust God because I trust myself more than I trust God. So what? Be on the lookout for anyone who emphasizes that God will love you more if you do these things. You should do them for an attitude of worship. Now, that's super hard for me as a pastor, okay? Because, like, I think you should be here. I think every time the church door is open, I think you should be here. And, and I look at that and I go, uh, uh, Paul, um, this, this might affect some of our church attendance. He's like, no, people should want to be there. They should run to be in the fellowship of the saints. That's also another sermon for another day. All right, so be on the lookout. Third, for anyone who takes away from the simplicity of the gospel message, anyone who emphasizes works for the adoration of God and those who mutilate the flesh. These false teachers believed it was essential for Gentiles to follow all of the Old Testament Jewish laws, namely circumcision. And Paul says, if you circumcise in a way that is not of God, you mutilate the flesh. So what's happening here is Paul is saying, you're saying they have to do something to get saved. But if you do something to get saved, it's an empty and meaningless ritual. 
So when Paul wrote to the Galatians, and again, these are how these line up, he exposed a flaw in this. He said in the Old Testament, Abraham was circumcised, and the, the, the act of circumcision came after Abraham believed upon the Lord. So your good works don't come until you believe upon the Lord. As a matter of fact, God doesn't look at you and say, that was good, you did great, unless you're his child. God doesn't look at you and say, hey, that's a fantastic job, unless you are his child. So there's a lot of people out there that are trying to gain the adoration of God because they're doing spiritual things, and God looks at it and he's like, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. It's like filthy rags. Because you're not in my family, you're not my kid, and I don't have any bearing of who you are because you won't acknowledge me privately or publicly. That's, that's really hard. So what Paul's saying is be on the lookout for anyone who has the adoration or seeks the adoration of men over God and adds to their salvation because of it. Now look at verse 3. Be on the lookout for anyone who adds to the gospel, emphasizes works, and anyone who adds to salvation because we're the true circumcision. That's heart. He's talking about the heart. We have been circumcised of the heart. The sin that has, has tripped us up has been cut off, and now we worship freely by the Spirit of God given to us by Christ, and we glory or we rejoice or we're excited about what God is doing and we put no confidence in our flesh. So what Paul's saying here is there's no way we could boast in human accomplishments as the Judaizers did because we as believers are children of God who know what Christ has done. Now, uh, scripture is, is so much better than, uh, than, than I could ever say. And this is what Paul says to 2 Corinthians, to the church of Corinth. It's, it's almost the same thing. He says, as the scriptures say, if you want to boast, who do you boast about? You boast about the Lord. And when people commend themselves, it doesn't count as much. The important for them, the thing to remember is the Lord to commend them. Now the crazy thing is, that's Jeremiah chapter nine. Paul's not using any new words. So the question I ask to live righteously, to live as Christ, to live different than the world, as I see the day approaching is, am I on the lookout for these things? Now here's the crazy thing. So many of us say, I'm on the lookout for those things in others. I'm on the lookout for those things in myself. I'm not even looking to the outside world right now. I look in the mirror and I say, God, <laughs> do I take away from the simplicity of the gospel message every day that you give mercy and grace to me? so that I can give it to others. I look at it and I say, God, do I emphasize my works to you so that I say, you'll love me more? Do I look at him and I'm like, see what I did? Did you see that, God? I did that for you. You love me, right? He's like, you did that for yourself. And then I look at the mirror and I say, I'm adding to my salvation. My, my kids love that I'm their dad. I don't know why, they just love it. I mess up all the time. And we do crazy stuff in our house. And here's the crazy thing. Uh, Karina and I, we were riding to the church the other day. And I asked her a couple questions, some really hard questions. And uh, I said, who taught you those things? And she said, I wonder. And so I automatically thought, well, that's your mom, of course, you know. Because um, they were good things, right? And uh, I, just, I just thought about it. And 
and before I was asking her questions, this is the hard thing, I realized that she wanted to go with me. She wanted to be with me. She knew that I'm her dad. She loves me. I didn't have to say a word to her. It's just that I'm dad and she's daughter and she delights in that relationship. Do we delight in that relationship, right? Do we just enjoy the fact that I'm a child of God? And does that rejoicing over the fact that we're in the family of God cause us to look inwardly to remove the sin that entangles so that we can be good children to our heavenly father? Like that's what Paul's saying. He's saying be on the lookout for self and others and enjoy your relationship with God because it's good. Everything good comes from that. Now the crazy thing, look at verse three. He says, because what you're doing is you're putting confidence in your flesh. So verse three. Put no confidence in the flesh, for though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks uh, that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, let's just run Paul's credentials here. Verse 5. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, as a Pharisee, as to passion, that's that word zeal, I persecuted the church, As to righteousness under the law, completely blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as my Savior. What? For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And in those things that I did, they were rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul's looking inward. He's doing exactly what he just told us to do to himself. Now, Paul says, if anyone can have confidence in worldly achievements, it's me. Now, (laughs) we think that's kind of bragging, right? He's kind of boasting a little bit. Like, isn't that exactly what you're trying to avoid? No, he's warning against it. Don't get it twisted. There was a time when Paul promoted selfishly his work, but after meeting Jesus, all of that died. So, uh, real fast, because you're not supposed to give more than six uh, points in a sermon, and I I got seven here, so we're going to fly through these, okay? I promise. I'm not going to be a bad pastor and say we're going to fly through these and spend 20 minutes on the first one. I hate when that happens. Man, that's the worst, right? You're looking at it, you're like, this is a lot. Okay, so Paul says... Here's what it looks like to be a flesh-based, confident, arrogant, works-based Jew. Four things I got from birth, three things I got by choice. Please hang with me on these, okay? Number one, circumcised on the eighth day. Paul says, I was pure. Not converted to Judaism, or circumcised after conversion. If anybody knew the true value of circumcision, Paul did. And he was born into it. So what? No confidence in rituals. No confidence in rituals. If anybody was ritualistic, Paul says, my family wins. Okay? Number two. Also, these are the hand that I was dealt. Okay? That's what Paul says. Of the people of Israel. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Paul's born a Jew, is a member of God's chosen people. In other words, his parents were pristine. I was born into a great family who did great things, but it's not about race. Of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul says, 
if it's not good enough to be a Jew who is circumcised, let me tell you, I was one of God's favorite Jews. This is heritage. And if people heard Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin, they would have valued and respected him without him ever opening his mouth. And Paul's saying, I'm an Israelite by birth and a genuine Jew through and through. So what? No confidence in rank. No confidence in rituals, no confidence in race, no confidence in race. And look at the fourth thing, the hand he was dealt, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. That means he spoke multiple languages. That means he was royalty in the eyes of the people of God. And he said, it's all ridiculous. These are the four qualifications that Paul gets. Now, here's what he did. He capitalized on it. He took all of those things and he said, if this is what God gives me, I'm gonna run with it. Look at the last three. He says, concerning the law, I was a Pharisee. Paul took his heritage, became a separated one, a member of the most devout, strict Jewish age group. He went to Harvard, okay? Or whichever college you want, put, just put it in there, okay? Pharisees meticulously followed the Old Testament law. Paul would have had the entire Old Testament memorized by the back of his hand. He'd been able to recite it easily, wouldn't have been a problem. And so here we see he is concerned about the law, memorizes it, meticulous it with it. And at one time, Paul was just like the false teachers, and he looked down on the less educated individuals. Those of us who are educated, we have to be really careful with our education because it's so easy for us to look down on other people. And Paul says, but, but there's no confidence there in, in my degrees or my morality. Six, as a, per, as a zeal, zeal just means uh, passionate. I was passionate of persecuting the church. So Paul persecutes the church. He travels hundreds of miles. He finds believers. He brings them to Jerusalem. He votes for their death. And he persecutes the church because he says, this Christianity that is spreading is blasphemous because Jesus doesn't meet my expectations. And Christians, quote unquote, are disrupting the allegiance between Jews and Rome. So what? It's not about motive. And all of that as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. If there was an award given for Pharisee of the year, Paul wins every year. This is crazy. Listen to this. As a Pharisee, Paul is saying, if there is a man on this earth outside of Jesus Christ who could work his way to God, I win. I was born in the right place, at the right time, with the right people. I capitalized on that. I did exactly what God told me to do or I thought God told me to do and I excelled at it with excellence. I got straight A's all the way through. 100%. Nothing in my life had any fault. Essentially, Paul is saying, if there was a guy who could claim to be sinless, it was me. But that arrogance is clouding his sinfulness. And so what Paul says is, he says, whatever I worked for, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. You need to underline that in your Bibles a thousand times. Whatever you need to do, highlight it, because whatever you have done in your life, you should count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Because if you did that for you, then you did that for you, and you got the glory, and God didn't get the glory. And there were people that didn't get saved because of that, and the church didn't get edified because of that. I think about all the things that I've done with my motives and I think, man, how many people missed out on the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ because I was too selfish and arrogant to, to bring them into a relationship with God. Like, are we thinking that way? I don't think we think that way. 
I think we think, what do I get out of it? And Paul's like, what I got out of it was, was nothing, and I came to know Jesus, and I got saved, and, and all of a sudden, everything changed. Bethany and I were just talking about this the other day. We were in the car. I said, why do people not come to the Lord, in our area at least, and have radical transformations of coming to the gospel? I used to hear about this all the time when my dad was pastoring. Like, people would get saved, and all of a sudden, like, wives would come up, and they would be like, hey, um, I don't know what's going on in Jim's life, but, but everything's different. And bosses would come up to my dad, and they'd be like, I don't know what's going on in, in Sue's life, but everything is different. She's a totally different worker. And here's the thing I think is happening. I think what's happening at Transpiring is people are trying to buy Jesus to be moral instead of accept Jesus to transform to become more like Christ because of what he's done on the cross. That's what I think is happening. I think people have looked at us and they said, you're morally good instead of us showing them what it means to truly be godly, to repent of our sins and come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ and show them how radically different, not what I have done, but what God has done through me. So we're buying into morality and we're trying to promote morality when Paul says, morality has nothing to do with any of this. Jesus has everything to do with this. All my accomplishments, garbage by comparison to what Christ has done for me. Look at verse nine. You were born in a blessed house, good for you. Came from a strong heritage, good for you. Self-made man, good for you. Self-made woman, good for you. You did all that for yourself. And Paul says, those who gain Christ are found in him. And that means that Christ is in the believer and the believer is in Christ. And being in Christ means that I don't cling to any self-righteousness anymore or any of my own doing, but I'm constantly aware in all of my relationships, whether they be at work or at home, for the, edif- or the evangelism of the gospel and the edification of the saints. And if I'm not doing those things, then I'm sinning. Anything that I do that is not evangelistic or edification, it's a sin. Ouch! Like, you feel that pain? Like, that hurts! And so what Paul says is he's saying, God views self-made righteousness as no righteousness at all. Isaiah 64 says they're like filthy rags. True righteousness is only by clinging to faith in Christ. Robert Leidinger says when a believing sinner responds in faith to the Spirit's work in his heart, he is clothed in righteousness of Christ. And in his position, he is accepted in the beloved. I love that phrase. He's accepted in the beloved. And thus, he is robed, and the believing sinner stands complete in Christ. You have everything you need, Paul says, in a relationship with Christ. It's not about rituals. It's not about race. It's not about rank. It's not about where you were raised. It's not about morality. It's not about motive. It's not about achievements. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. And when you realize what he's done for you, you start to live different. And if you're not living different, then maybe it's because you're not living for Jesus. You're living for yourself. Oh, okay. Verse 10. Man, I'm going to get crucified in the parking lot today. Okay. Um, that I, look at verse, verse 10. This is it. This is my finally. I promise this is my last point. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection. And that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. I literally pleaded with God, please, God, I don't want to pray that prayer this week. Like that verse is so hard to pray. Verse 11, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection 
from the dead. What's Paul saying here? He says, keep your eyes on Christ. Paul already knows Jesus as Savior, but look at what he unpacks for us in this verse. Look at this. He says, but I want to know him personally. It's not enough that my kids know that I'm their dad. They want to know me. We sit at the dinner table all the time, and my kids are like, tell us stories when you grew up. And I'm petrified because the stories when I grew up are horrible, right? Like, didn't they be like me? Like, that's ask your mom. She was great since like five. She's doing fantastic, right? They're like, no, dad, tell us your stories. I'm like, no, let's not talk about that, right? And so what Paul says is he wants to know the Lord personally. Like, my kids want to know me personally. The word know, if you circle that, that, that means to experience it. That means what Paul's saying is it's not enough that I come and preach to you. You've got to live out the text in your everyday life. He says if you really want to know the power of Christ's resurrection, circle the word power, that means the ability to overcome resistance. That means when people criticize you for your faith because you talk about Jesus all the time, you can overcome that. That means when... You have an unbelieving spouse at home and you talk about Jesus and they criticize you for going to church in the morning. You can overcome that. That means when you have kids that are running all over the place and, and, and you keep talking about Jesus to them and you keep telling them about Jesus and they, they keep rebelling and you think to yourself, maybe I should just give up. No, 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 don't give up. Don't give up. Paul says that's the power of the resurrection comes from persistence. And so Paul's giving the believers an example to follow in total contrast to the Judaizers. To know Christ is more than merely knowing facts and doctrines about him. It's letting him change everything in your life. It's letting him frustrate your plans. It's letting him just totally change your whole world. And what Paul says, this is the goal of every believer is to know Christ fully as a father. And it's gonna be a lifelong process. So how do I do this, Paul? How do I live as Christ. You live first and foremost in the power of his resurrection. The Holy Spirit has given you power. It's the same Holy Spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead. It's available to you. We were just talking about this at nine o'clock hour. So many people want to accept Christ so they can go to heaven instead of know that accepting Christ helps us in the here and now. That's the biggest mistake I've made of sharing Jesus with people. Because I've looked at him, I'm like, do you want to go to heaven? And I'm like, wait, heaven's a long way away from me, right? Hopefully. And, and I think I need to start telling people about Jesus and what he does for us in the here and now. And Paul's saying, he is able to raise you from spiritual death now. The sins that trip you up, the sins that entangle you. Yeah, he'll rescue you from future death but Paul says, I want to know the power firsthand through death. So what he's saying is, I'm going to push this to, the, to, to every area that I can push it to. I'm going to push the envelope here. Paul's eternal mindset was, I'm ready to die. Do we live like this? This is why he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He's like, let's roll the dice here. I struggle with this sin. Let's see if Jesus really works here and watch him show up. Paul says, I want to know the power of resurrection. I'm going to put him in every place in my life. That's true humility. Also, I want to be in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And whether Paul's saying, he's already suffering. He's in a jail here, but he's ready to suffer more for the gospel. Why? This is super hard for me to tell you this, but suffering validates your faith. There are so many of us here, we've gone through so many trials and tribulations and 
we look at God and we're like, I don't, I don't know why you didn't rescue me from those things. I don't know why you didn't redeem me from those things. And, and God says, you're seeing this all wrong. The call to live as Christ is to suffer. And that's validation of your faith. That's becoming like him in his death. In the Greek, this phrase explains how we know Christ. We participate in his death. So in, others, in other words, believers are conformed to Christ's death as they die to the old sinful self. Paul says it better in Romans 6.11. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in Christ Jesus. You're, you're leaning into the sin that trips you up and entangles you, putting into uh, those trials and tribulations the power of Christ and believing in faith that God is going to meet you on the other side. But here's the thing. He doesn't meet us on the other side. He meets us right in the middle of the storms. There's a reason why Jesus is sleeping in the boat, right? The disciples, they're tripping out. This is a huge storm. Jesus is like, uh, I, I'm good. Like, let's catch some fish in the middle of a storm. Let's try that. And so believers die to self-justification. I humble myself, come into a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Then I live for the Lord, striving to put into practice what I know from his word, to be sanctified and set apart, ready to suffer, so that glorification, when he finally calls me home, this will be the prize. Paul wrote this to the Galatians. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith. Not faith in myself, but in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We miss that, uh, seg- that last half of verse 20 so often. That he loves me and gave himself up for me. Some of you have been extremely wounded and hurt by people in this world. And your definition of love is broken because people did that, not God. And we have to realign ourselves to the fact that God truly loves us and cares for us. Because look at verse 11 that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Before we can walk in the newness of life, we also die to sin once and continually, and just as Christ's resurrection gives us power to live for him, his crucifixion marks our death of our old sinful nature now, here in the now. So we can't know victory of resurrection without personally applying the crucifixion in our everyday problems. Let me say that to you again because you missed it. You cannot know the power of the resurrection unless you put into practice the crucifixion in your everyday problems. I'm going to believe in faith. I'm not going to run from this problem. I'm going to face it head on with the gospel of Jesus Christ, believing that he is able to do far more abundantly than I could ever ask or imagine. I'm not going to give up this race. I'm going to continue to endure. I'm going to believe. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to make sure that I'm conforming to the image of Christ. John Piper says it like this. He says, God loves us and seeks the fullness of our joy. Not that you would be happy, but that you would be holy. That you would be found in him, knowing and praising him, the most magnificent of all beings. We have said this multiple times. We've had four funerals in the last uh, two weeks. And Solomon says, it's better for you to be at a funeral than it is to be at a wedding. Because at least a funeral, you're faced with the reality that you too will die. It's awesome. Better. <clears throat> Jerry Bridges. And I'll close it, and this is it, and I'm out your way. One of the wonderful things about God is that He is infinite in all of His glorious attributes. 
So never in our desire for him will we exhaust the revelation of his person to us. You can never exhaust the resources of God. The more we come to know him personally, the more we desire him. The more we desire him, the more we want to fellowship with him and experience his presence. And the more we desire him and his fellowship, the more we desire to be like him. Let's make that our prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have, have rescued and, and, and ransomed and uh, redeemed us from sin. I'm just blown away uh, by the reality of the truths of Scripture. And God, I, I want to pray um, very specifically that we as your body of believers would know the wonderful things about you. Because where we have gone, and, and, and I'm guilty of this, God, is we've run to devices, social media outlets, other people, instead of delighted in the excellencies of you who have called us out of darkness into glorious light. We've accessed books, um, and some of them are good, but we have shelved your word. And so we confess. And then we ask that you would help us to desire you, and that we would not like children, be scared to come to you, but ask that you would reveal to us all of the things that you have given to us for tools in this life. And that we would be excited to come to know you, that we would rejoice in the Lord. That we would live righteously on the lookout for the ways that we do you a disservice, but also the ways that false teachers do you a disservice. Forgive us for putting confidence in the flesh. And help us to eliminate that which trips us up and entangles us. Give us a desire and a passion to be in fellowship with you and your people. Give us a desire and a passion to be here in this place. Give us a desire and a passion to know your presence, to sit quietly, to shut down devices, electronics, all the things that we just flood into our minds. God, sometimes we can't overcome sin because it's too loud. And so help us to go take a walk and leave our phones at home and to just plead to you and the things that are tripping us up and, and stopping uh, us from uh, being delighted to be in your presence. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes fixated on Christ. I know that's where we sink. Help us to desire you and fellowship with you to be more like you because... <laughs> You tell us that it's worth it. And I think that's the big thing right now, God, is we just don't think your ways are worth it. And I ask for your forgiveness for that. And I ask that you realign us individually, corporately as a church. Help us to keep our minds fixated on honoring and seeking and praising you and all we think, say, and do as we see the day approaching. I love you, God. Thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the fact that it's truth. Let's take a moment, just think about some of these things this morning before we sing to the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.